Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. My guest on today's podcast is Jay Rogers. Jay is a senior executive consultant and director of business development at Stearns Financial. In this episode, we discuss a new strategy for credit unions to be able to sell their QOLE credit union-owned life insurance products and split dollar policies to buy out these policies with a strategy that Stearns has developed. It's interesting to think about how in this interest rate environment, old QOLE policies might be updated to higher rates and collateral assignment might be used in a completely different way than you've seen in the past. Listen in. Jay, welcome to the show. Delighted to to have you join us and to get to talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing with Executive Benefits. Thanks, Doug. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. So tell me about your work with Stearns, what you've been doing and what you've been specializing in, and then what you're here to talk to us about today. Yeah, absolutely. So Stearns, our background goes a lot further back than myself. We've been working with credit unions for about 40 years now, focusing in retention, succession, and yield planning, right? So building out different methods and ways to retain your key people, to plan for succession, and to do it in a way that optimizes the impact on the balance sheet. So whether that's minimizing the cost or maximizing the yield of the loan type that's used, we're working to with the credit union to come to a conclusion that is that optimizes everything they're looking to accomplish. We always say mission-driven goals and intent. And we have to figure those things out with a credit union. What is their long-term goal? Sometimes we go to a credit union and they're telling us, hey, this is the end result that we want. And we have to take a step back and say, okay, why? What is the long-term mission that you have? What is the long-term goal that you have? And because if they've not articulated that, it's going to lead to more challenges down the road. So we want credit unions, especially when they're talking with us about how do I retain the CEO that I love? Or how do we retain the CEO we just hired? That's a conversation you're having during typically somewhat of a honeymoon phase, right? Where where you like the person a lot. Well, what happens when things aren't going as well? What happens when there's somebody's considering leaving, right? Those types of things. So we want these plans that are designed to retain your key people to uh, be versatile and to be adaptive and to have to be essentially a living document that can that can work and be active in all sorts of scenarios. So that's what our our bread and butter is on a on a daily basis. That's what we've been doing for for decades now. And now you have a dramatically different economic environment, right? The credit unions don't have the deposits that they used to have and the interest rates are dramatically higher. So you have a, a, an effect all over the place on if it's a traditional loan arrangement with the amount of the tax that's potentially due on that loan. So what have you guys been doing at Stearns to try to adapt to these times in executive benefits? It's a great question. You know, you touch on a really, a really key point here. So as 
as credit unions look, especially when utilizing split dollar collateral assignment, split dollar plans, uh, one of the, the things that have made these assets so desirable is the ability to lock in the rate on these plans. I'll give you a little bit of background on myself because it's, it's an important point. I've worked with a few firms that do this over my career. I started at New York Life just as an advisor right out of college, ended up becoming a partner, managing a team of young advisors there, ended up moving from there to Mass Mutual. And it's there that I got introduced to a firm that worked closely with credit unions. And after working with several firms that work closely with credit unions, I, I realized that a, a, a gentleman by the name of Eric Stearns seemed to be the most forward-thinking person that I had met in this space. And I saw that from something he had already done and also the things he was focused on that didn't make sense to most other people. So what he had already done was credit unions had been funding collateral assignment split dollar plans for a long time at that point, but they had been funding them year by year. And Eric figured out, okay, what if we funded these all at once? How could we do that? And that was at that, this is about a decade ago, maybe a little more, where credit unions started to look at this. And instead of 10 separate loans each year that a premium was due, we figured out that we could fund these immediately on day one. And once you do that, you can lock in the loan using the long-term applicable federal rate, which this is getting really granular here. So I apologize if it's, if it's a little, little too much. But when you use the applicable federal rate, you lock it in. And that is the, no matter what rates do from that point on, you are no longer participating in a below market rate loan if the credit union is booking that rate or higher. And so because a credit union back in 2020 put a plan in place and they lent out $4 million to make the plan work, and that rate, that loan was booked at 1.01%. They were allowed to put in the smallest amount of money possible to make the plan work because they're charging so little on that loan. And the executive does not have to pay a tax for participating in a below market rate loan. So it, 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 there's the least drag coefficient on the plan possible. And that was something that wasn't possible until Eric figured that out many years ago. Well, let me stop you for a second. I want you to continue with that thought, but I want you to understand from my standpoint how that filtered through is when we are doing credit union executives' financial plans that don't have what you described. And what I believe you just described is called loan regime, split dollar, right? Yes. So when, when they did not have loan regime, when they had the uh, forgivable interest model, I would have to to model that out in someone's lifetime financial plan. And it's all based on interest rates, which of course, 12 months ago were vastly different than they are today. And you had to guess at tax rates, you had to guess at interest rates, you had to guess at longevity. And the expense could be humongous if interest rates went up a lot, which of course they now have. So I'm delighted that uh, I don't have anyone that I currently am aware of in the credit union space that has the forgiven interest model any longer. A loan regime is all I uh, all I see. So thank goodness for uh, Eric's uh, innovation in that area. Yeah, yeah, and and so I saw that. And I thought that was an unbelievably measurable value add. And then I saw that he was asking questions all the way back in 2016 and 2017. And the question was, it really, to me, it was a question that nobody in this space wanted to ask because it, from a vendor standpoint, from a company selling these assets and these plans standpoint, 
it was a question that could quote unquote stop the gravy train, right? It was a question that could make the sale of these plans less likely. And the question was, how are we going to get these off the books of the credit union early? What are we going to do when new boards have plans on executives who are no longer there? They never met this CEO from two generations ago. That CEO, CFO, he or she is in retirement. I've never met this person. We're in a different direction now. And I've got to leave a $5 million loan out there that's accruing interest. And you're capped out on your net worth. I have credit unions that I work for right now in that situation. Exactly. And so that question we were, we've been talking about for a long time. And I would say in 2019, we started developing what I'm going to refer to in our discussion here as the strategy. The strategy. <laughs> the strategy. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is we want, it, we, we want to be protective of what we've developed here. But I'll go as get into as much detail as I can. But the strategy is a method that we have developed to get credit unions out of their collateral assignment split dollar loans much sooner than death even if they were not designed to do so. And I'll go a little bit deeper here. So we have developed a group of investors that are interested in these assets as an investment play over a long term. And so we are looking, along with that group of investors, to buy credit unions out of their life insurance assets. So Jay, let me just first, let's set up for the why. The why a credit union would want to get out of the split dollar arrangement they made to retain their executive is because the, you know, maybe they're capped out on net worth and need to retain new generation of talent. What are the other reasons why they would want to make a change in, in that way? Yeah, so I think before that, the bigger question is why, why did they do it? Again, mission-driven goals and intent. What was the intent of this collateral assignment split dollar plan? The intent was to retain this key person in as cost-effective a manner as possible, right? And so once looking, if a credit union has collateral assignment split dollar on their balance sheet, it's because they had looked at a few options and this was deemed to be the most cost-effective way to get to the desired goal, right? When you take a step back and say, okay, everybody's trying to develop something better, right? What is the next thing that's going to be more efficient? Well, for us, this was a really efficient solution. It's just there were a couple of caveats that if we could crack the code on, it would make them much more desirable long term. And so for us, why did they do it? They did it to retain this key person. They did not do it so that they could participate in a loan that pays them 1% a year until the unknown date of a person's death, right? That was the negative, right? The negative in the plan. And funny enough, a lot of credit unions, we put these plans in place at an AFR of 3%, 2.75%, whatever it was. And that was a very desirable rate at that point in time. They would say in, in 2019, in 2020, wow, this is great. Thanks right, for this rate. And so times have flipped quickly. And as far as what we're trying to accomplish here, we did not plan on this. We've been developing this strategy for two years. We brought it to market in the spring. We've been speaking with credit unions on a very selective basis, and we did not plan on interest rates spiking as they have, but it has been, it has made our strategy even more desirable because a credit union, the opportunity cost that they're participating in, the spread on that opportunity cost 
is increasing and what they're participating in is less and less desirable, but there's nothing they can do about it. So they don't lose much sleep over it. Now that there is something they can do about it, now that they can take a 1% loan that they're going to have on their balance sheet, they can get out of it much, much sooner. There's concern. It's solving an immediate pain point is what I would say. Well, it's freeing up the credit union capital to do whatever it needs to be doing at this time, whether it's loans to members or a different uh, executive benefit. So that I can imagine there is certainly a market need. Again, I've spoken with credit union CEOs that have told me themselves that they're capped out on, on a net worth basis, so they can't do traditional executive benefits. I'm sure the, the need is there. Then I guess the question becomes, uh, to the degree that you can tell us, how does it actually occur? Like, uh, what's the process as far as you can tell us? Yeah, so what I'll say is we're going to a credit union. We're asking them if we can buy this asset off of their balance sheet. In exchange, depending on the current structure of the plan, which we would run an analysis on to look at the strength of the plan as it is, what was it forecasted to do? What was it built to do? How has it performed? How has the insurance company's dividend performed? What insurance company is it with? What is the benefit done since putting it in place, right? If we're talking to a credit union who put a plan in place, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Maybe that's the easiest way to do it. Let's say somebody got a plan in 2016 with Mass Mutual, okay? And the plan was designed to give their executive $150,000 in retirement for 20 years. And the credit union is paying that loan at once. Let's say it was a $4 million loan. And they're booking, they did it in 2016, so they're probably booking 2.35%. We'll call it 2.5% to be round, okay? So this is on their balance sheet. They're accruing interest 2.5% every year. Over the last few years, they have done one of a couple of things. They have had meetings. Either they have a bad advisor and they have not had meetings and they don't know what has happened. But let's assume that they have. They have been made aware that Mass Mutual's dividend has decreased on several occasions over the time period of 2016 to 2022. That being said, Mass Mutual is one of the best companies out there. And that's not a major concern long term. But if you put a plan in place in 2016, it is not forecasting to do what you were shown in 2016. So many scenarios we see the executive is now being shown, hey, that $150,000 benefit for 20 years you were going to get, we now need to, it's now forecasting to be 120. Or we're now forecasting 17 benefits, 17 years of the benefit. Or the credit union came in, and this is what a lot of our clients did. We met with them, and when the applicable federal rate was dropping, which it did, especially in 2020, we then worked with them to refinance that loan. We, we, we did an amended promissory note. And so now the credit union went from booking 2.5 to booking 1.75. I saw a lot of that happen all over the industry. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that, that's a good thing. And that brings us back to what was the intent. Why would a credit union lower the rate they're booking on a loan that's out there that they don't have to? It's because of the intent, right? The intent was for the executive to get $150,000 for 20 years. They want to make that happen. So that's what they did. So let's assume that the credit union lowered it to 2%, right? And that that was able to help it. So now it's at $150,000. So the executive now has experienced what I call the risk weight within this plan. The risk in these plans lies on the executive. 
the risk to the yield from the dividend, the performance is to the executive. If the dividend is decreased, it comes out of the executive's benefit, not the credit union's promissory note loan plus interest, right? So that's where the risk lies. What we're doing is we're going to a credit union now. We're saying, we'd like to buy you out of this plan. And depending on what you're, how badly you want to get out of it will determine the direction that we take. So a credit union could say, hey, we would go to them, we would run an analysis, and we would say, we can tie this to a fixed maturity date. We are removing duration risk, right? So now they, they have a, an asset that will pay at the death of the, this executive. We're taking it and we're saying, okay, if you want to continue booking 2%, we can give you a fixed maturity date at 20 years. Now you know it's going to be 15 to 20 years, something like that, depending on the asset. Then we'll say, okay, well, if you booked, if you were willing to lower that to 1%, and now you're booking 1%, we can lower that to 10 years. Okay, if you're willing to lower that to 0%, we can lower that to, call it six years, right? And again, I don't know exactly, we would have to run an analysis, but we are able to now manipulate this arrangement to where the credit union gets paid back at a fixed maturity date that they are in control of. And with a, an increasing opportunity cost spread, that is, that is powerful, right? That is a, a major impact to the long-term planning of the credit union. Now they can say, okay, well, you know what? Sheila, our CEO here, was going to be retiring in seven years. We want to do 0% because if we get this off our balance sheet in seven years, we can put a plan in place on the new CEO that's coming in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's very interesting for, for the secondary market, if you will, the the market of existing policies. I think has has a lot of interesting ideas. And then, yeah, I also want you to talk to me about like if you were ish, if you were designing a new plan, how would you incorporate this design into it right from the beginning? Yeah, we would. That's a great question. Before we move on to that, though, I want to touch on one other thing because we only talked about the the credit unions piece. Of that, of that experience there. So the credit union is, is able to control their duration through this strategy, and they're able to improve their duration significantly. The executive, what we are able to do with the executive in this engagement is we're able, we want to buy them out of their asset, which is the life insurance policy. And so they're going to need some assurances to want to do that, right? But the things that they are getting by doing this is we're saying, we're, we're going to transfer your risk in this plan from you to the investment group, right? And so we're giving them a fully paid up guaranteed annuity that typically is going to be in the neighborhood of 105 to 110% of their originally promised benefit. So let's say there's somebody out there who's had to decrease their benefits three times, two times, whatever it may be. We're able to come in with this strategy and restore their benefit. We can also build in a death benefit to it. So if they said, look, I appreciate the benefit. I need to make sure my family's taken care of. If I take all 20 benefits, I was going to get $300,000 still. I don't want to lose that. Fantastic. We can build that in so that they have a death benefit. And their relationship now is with the investment group. It's not with the credit union. The reason that's actually a good thing is the investment group has a fiduciary responsibility to the owners of these guaranteed annuities and the owners of the death benefit, which are these exec executives at that time. All right. So this is an area I'm, I want to dig into a little bit. So the, the executive was going to get a, let's call it annual 
withdrawal from our loan from the policy, which would be tax-free until it was no longer safe to have a withdrawal, usually 20 or 25 years in the illustrations, right? And that withdrawal would be completely tax-free. And then there'd be an illustrated death benefit after the credit union is paid off when the executive passes away. So if they go through this transaction with you and they end up with a paid up annuity, is it not the executive direct to the insurance company? That's not the relationship. It's a third party relationship. There is a direct relationship that the executive will have with the insurance company. I'll also say that the benefit is still non-taxable unless we go above and beyond and we're giving more than they were originally promised. If that same executive who was going to get $150,000 a year, if we're able to provide them with $170,000 a year, then they're going to get $170,000 a year and they're going to have to pay taxes on $20,000. And I have not yet met somebody who is upset by that arrangement. I should think not. And then is the, the length of the guarantee period in line with what it was originally? It would be designed to do the same thing that their plan was built to do. So it would be designed to pay them 20 payments of 150000 This The benefit to the executive here, the way that I see this is for the credit union, it's a fantastic play, right? There is really not a negative to the credit union. For the executive, it's a really good play. There are scenarios where they wouldn't want to do it. I'll give you an example. We have an executive who has a special needs child that they are planning to have cared for throughout the child's life, no matter how long the executive lives. And so their asset is really not, it's no longer about a benefit to them. It's about life insurance. And that life insurance is going into a trust that will be there for the child. And so that's an example where the life insurance is more important than the benefit. And so that's, that's one that we would not buy out, right? So if the benefit is what's really important to the executive, then we're able to remove the risk in the plan, provide them with an equal to or slightly greater than benefit in retirement, and dramatically improve the convenience of accessing their asset. What I mean by that is any executive you know who's in retirement now is calling the credit union, asking the board to approve their distribution. Then the board calls the vendor, then the vendor calls the insurance company, gets an illustration, they run an analysis, they say, hey, everything's good, we can do this now. Then they have to sign a document from the insurance company for the distribution. I'll give you a little bit of background color into some of the components of how we're doing this. But one of the things is they're taking a loan from these insurance companies, right? No longer doing that has an impact, right? People would ask, how is this possibly advantageous for this investment group? Well, these plans that are now no longer touched are able to generate a lot of growth. And so, yes, we're giving the executive an asset. But now we have an asset that we are not planning on utilizing in the same way. We have a new intent for that asset, and it's to leave it alone, frankly, in a lot of ways. So then the, the executive is going to get a non-taxable, and it is a guaranteed amount and for a guaranteed term, or is it illustrated and projected? It is a guaranteed, right? Let's talk about what that means. I've had people ask, what is the risk in that? Okay, well, right now, and, and one of the things that we've talked about is, well, let's pick the company that you want to use. Who do you trust? Do you have a split dollar plan with Mass Mutual right now? Okay, why don't we use Mass Mutual? Why don't we buy a guaranteed annuity with Mass Mutual? 
your risk profile now is the same. Or you could buy three of them, right? You could spread it around. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. You could spread it around. And this is something that's important too, because an executive needs to know this. One of the benefits of a split dollar plan is the flexibility you have in retirement with that asset. The difference here is you have that flexibility, but you need to decide at the onset. Because at the design, when we buy these assets, you then lose the ability to get super creative with how you take it. Right? So we could buy a few different types of annuities. We could buy a life only, one life only. We could buy one that has a, a death benefit to your spouse. Right? It's about you maximizing the income that you get out of this plan. Yeah, it's it's very very interesting. Uh, obviously, I, I I agree with what you said. I can see the on the credit union side. Of course, the devil's always in the details, right? But it uh, it seems like in in these times, it would be an interesting analysis on the credit union side that could be pretty compelling. If nothing else, just to have flexibility, to have the ability to unwind a situation that is no longer appropriate, and then adapt to new times. But then from the executive standpoint, you retain the tax-free nature of the payments, which from my chair is mission critical. When you have that 50% of your income coming from a tax-free source, that lets me get you qualified for Obamacare, potentially. Let's me do Roth conversions and have you pay almost no taxes on them. Let's me harvest uh, capital gains at 0% tax rates. It gives us all these other lever points that generally folks don't know about. And the whole critical part of that is that you have a substantial tax-free income stream. So it still retains all of that, but now you've got an insurance company guaranteeing the payment stream instead of illustrating the payment stream. Is that right? Correct. I mean, in a lot of ways, with a life insurance policy, it's still the insurance company guaranteeing a payment stream. You just don't know how much of it's going to be there. It's dependent on their dividend performance. That's not the case with a guaranteed annuity, right? So again, this is, this is the executive. Somebody would say, oh, well, why does the executive want to do this? Well, they're transferring risk. They are no longer in the position of carrying the risk. The credit union never has been. The credit union's risk is duration risk. And that's where we're coming in and actually solving that for the credit union as well. Another cool feature here is these are two separate assets. The credit union owns a promissory note. The executive owns a life insurance policy. Either of these parties could actually transact this without the other one doing it. So if, a, if an executive said, I, I don't want to do that, we would say, okay, totally. We understand. The credit union can still sell their promissory note. And so we can solve that problem as well. The executive can stay right where they are. Now, I want to talk about how you would think about designing new policies with these tools. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, again, whenever you have a conversation with a credit union about who they're looking to retain, what is their succession plan that they're looking to put in place for the credit union, right? We, we help credit unions put in place what we call program policies. What is the policy of the credit union when it comes to a person at X position? When would they get a plan, right? Those types of things. So looking at the institution itself and what are their goals what is their vision? What is their in, the intent behind these plans? Now that we have a tool to control duration risk within a split dollar plan, it impacts the design. And so we are now designing these plans with the focus that they're not going to sit on the balance sheet of the credit union for X number of years, right? It is four, and then it's a number, right? We, we have removed this floating maturity date. 
we always tell credit unions, you have multiple levers that you can pull on when designing these plans. Typically, the two levers are time and money. And those have impacted, until now, the executive's benefit, right? That's been specifically what those two levers have impacted, the executive's benefit. It's also impacted the loan amount that needs to go into the plan. Now it's time, money, and duration, right? So there's a third lever here that we're playing with, all three of which impact the executive's benefit and the loan amount. I'll also say this, the strategy has directly impacted credit unions' ability to finance these plans and the way in which they would go about doing that. So if a credit union, whether it's a $50 million credit union who has a small net worth cap and they want to stay under it and they, in the past, they wanted to do three plans, but they couldn't, now they might be able to do three plans. Those three plans may in total cost $6 million but the credit union's only having to put in 1.2 because the other portion is financed, right? In addition to the executive side, their plans are being designed where they're not, the executive is not taking their non-taxable benefit in the form of a loan against the policy. So it, it impacts a lot about how we design these plans and what are the parties that need to be considered in the design. Does that make sense? It does. It's really, it's really interesting. It's kind of open. I'm got to really ponder it a bit to understand all the impacts because I'm imagining when you're sitting down at the table and you're initially designing a program, now knowing that you can pre-design exit points, not exit commitments. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but exit options. Well, if it's in design. Right. If we're talking about at the onset, we're designing this to function a certain way. So it's, I wouldn't call it an option. It's the credit union gets paid back at X date. They have a fixed maturity date. Or they could choose not to. They could do a traditional structure. So I'll say this it is always more advantageous for a plan to be designed with the strategy in mind than to not and then go to the strategy later because. If we're building it with that in mind, we're building it with some of those key components built into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. But, but you could you could build a traditional plan. Again, this is another thing the strategy solves here. How is a credit union going to do that today? A lot of the people we work with are not even considering split dollar anymore. They're going to put out a loan at 7%. Executives going to pay the credit union 7% for the life of the loan. It's not happening. So another thing that the strategy has allowed us to do is to remove the need to tie the rate, to tie the loan to the current rate. And we've eliminated the tax burden to the executive through the strategy. So even if the credit union were to not book the AFR, we are the executive's benefit is not structured so that they're paying this massive tax now for participating in a below market rate loan. We have some credit unions coming to us wanting to put their plans into the strategy because they have a tax burden that the credit union has promised to pay for every year. And where that tax burden was, call it an, a spread of 1%, 2%, now it's a spread of 6%, right? Where the, the difference between what they're booking and what the, the market rate on that loan should be is much, much higher now. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Yeah, it's just sort of reacting to the massive change in interest rates, and that has increased that uh, opportunity cost, as you said earlier. The strategy is focused on buying credit unions out of life assets, okay? 
And so that's not only collateral assignment split dollar, right? I would say the, the most interested group currently in, in working with us are credit unions who own QOLI. So credit union owned life insurance or some, everybody calls it something different, right? Bank owned life insurance, credit union owned life insurance. But at the end of the day, what it's focused on is yield to the credit union. It's categorized under the credit union's 70119, otherwise impermissible investments to quote unquote offset employee expenses, right? And so this is a credit union borrowed a, an employee's life and typically the employee is getting nothing or a small death benefit as a thank you. But it's designed solely for all of the income generated out of that plan to go towards the credit union's balance sheet. And over the last, call it decade, that's been what I would call a decreasing spread. The yield curve on a QOLI product in a declining interest rate environment is one that becomes more and more advantageous for a credit union. That relationship is flipped on its head when the interest rate environment starts to rise. And so now everybody has this asset on their balance sheet that has been something that they really like. And now it's either something that they like or they don't like, and they don't know what they're going to do with it. Because with QOLI, you can liquidate it to the company, right? You can liquidate it to the insurance company unless you're in a surrender charge period. And even then, you could still do it. What the strategy has developed is a marketplace to sell that asset rather than liquidating it. And so we're going to credit unions who have credit union owned life insurance, and we're saying we would like to buy that asset from you. And what we are providing you with is a fixed maturity date where we will pay you the lump sum plus interest and your new interest rate. I'll give you an example. Uh, most of the credit unions doing this with us are signing up for a 15-year maturity date. And we are providing them with a guaranteed SOFR 30 plus 360 basis points. So the secured overnight funds rate average of the last 30 days plus 360 basis points. So it's floating and it's moving with the interest rate environment. Right now, that rate is about 6%. So they would go from, I know these plans fairly well. Every single plan out there is getting somewhere netting, I'll say netting somewhere between 2.2% and 4.2%. So to take that type of an investment, and I know credit unions with over $100 million in this, and to be able to sell that asset in exchange for an asset that you're getting now, immediately you're getting 6% on, is advantageous. Now, people say, oh, well, what if rates go down? Then yes, your rate will come down. But do you know what else will come down? Is your QOLI yield. So it's in, you have to compare it to the asset that you, that you currently hold. Is the rate of change between those two instruments the same, the QOLI yield and the strategy yield? No, and that's what we're able to take advantage of in this current moment. The reason that the spread was attractive in a declining rate environment is because a, a life insurance company's yield, their dividend, decreases at a slower rate. The reason that those products are not attractive right now is because they are increasing at a slower rate, right? So while, while rates are going up, 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 the dividend hasn't gone up at all yet, and we're assuming it will next year as a response to the rising interest rate environment. And I mean, assuming something, I don't know what would have to happen to cause it not to, right? It, it should, but it's going to go up slower. The executive benefits specialists, I think, are 
very challenged to explain traditional split dollar to a board, to get that across to the board and to help them remember what they did and why they did on a at least annual basis. This additional level of complexity must be quite interesting to work with a board on. Have you have you done that yet? I know this is brand new. Yeah, yeah, no, we have. So I'll tell you, uh, currently we have $50 million committed to the strategy in life assets, and we have approximately $300 million in due diligence. And so things have been going very well. We get the boards involved very quickly because, frankly, these are board members that have typically had some turnover. So almost every board meeting I've had with a credit union has a board that has new board members who are kind of, we're now educating them on what they bought, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, th- and then we're educating them on what they can do with the asset they have. What does the current interest rate environment, what does the current credit union environment mean to the asset that you currently hold? And are there ways to leverage this asset for additional yield or decreased duration? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I imagine that's a, as I said, it's just a complicated topic to be able to, to get all the way through. Yeah, and, when, and you know, you, you, you throw a lot of other things into this, and I know we can't get to everything, but you throw in NCUA guidance on net worth caps. You throw in NCUA guidance on concentration risk, right? We have, we have credit unions all over the country that are out of compliance when it comes to concentration risk. And in our experience, the NCUA is more concerned about concentration risk than they have been about net worth cap risk, right? So when looking at a net worth cap, you can sometimes go higher if you're able to, if your your vendor is able to provide additional due diligence on the, the companies where the assets are placed. Concentration risk, it's not the same. If you If you put X dollars into one company and that is in excess of 15% of your net worth capital, you are out of compliance. And so the strategy immediately solves that. Very, very interesting, Jay. Talk to me about any other questions you've heard from credit unions or creative strategies or who should be listening to this podcast and then emailing you. Like you said, the QOLI folks are the ones that are uh, going the quickest. And that's where they used the life insurance policy to get at that higher interest rate of the uh, of the general account of the insurance company. And that is now a lagging asset due to what's changed in interest rate spreads. And so they want to get that off from their uh, balance sheet and you're offering them a method of liquidity, right? That That would be who's coming to you the fastest right now? Yeah, it's anybody who is concerned about the rising opportunity cost of a life insurance asset either owned or a promissory note tied to a life insurance asset. And if you have thought to yourself, man, I wish I could get more yield. Man, I I really wish that this split dollar portfolio had a fixed maturity date. I really wish I could get this off of the balance sheet when the executive retires instead of when they die. I really wish that my QOLI portfolio, which was great two years ago, but now is not keeping up, I really wish there was a way to pivot the return on that investment from a lagging response to a a yield that is tied more closely to the interest rate environment, right? Any questions like that, if you're asking yourself that, we should talk. Another thing I'll say here, 
look, I've worked with a lot of companies in this space. Eric and I are like-minded in this way. We're designing this to work with other vendors. We want to work with other vendors on what we've built here. If you're a vendor and you have a credit union that could benefit from some of the solutions we've described here, we will work with you. Very interesting. So if you are not uh, someone that is uh, working with the Stearns Group, you can still participate in offering the strategy to credit unions that you work with. Yes. Yeah. And, and we already have several firms that are taking advantage of that. And we have NDAs and agreements in place, and they've been awesome. Their, their goal is to serve their clients as best as they possibly can. And what we have developed enables them to do that in a more complete way. And so they didn't put that, frankly, it, it was more of a pride thing it would be the reason that they wouldn't, right? We're working in a way where they're benefiting from it monetarily. We are benefiting from it monetarily. The credit union is benefiting from it monetarily. The executive is benefiting from it monetarily, right? So we're excited to work with them on these things. And, and we're happy to work with anybody who is interested. Jay, very, very interesting content today. Let's give our listeners your contact information in case they want to learn more about the strategy. Absolutely. So again, my name is Jay Rogers. That's R-O-G-E-R-S. And my email is the letter J, R-O-G-E-R-S at Stearns.financial. That's S-T-E-A-R-N-S dot financial. There is no dot com after that. And my direct contact number is 864-787-6624. Awesome, Jay. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Listeners, be sure to check out part two of this interview in our next episode. Jay and I will be joined by Eric Stearns and together we'll talk about use cases for how you might use the strategy that Stearns has developed and take a deeper look into how some credit unions have benefited. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.